Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Friday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. Okay, I've talked about this gun from Palmetto State Armory before, but it has dropped another $30, and I just really think it's an absolute steal. The full-size CD P10 9mm is regularly $649.99. It is on sale right now for only $369.99. It's an extremely great price for that handgun, and also uh, PSA has a custom AR 3.5-pound match-grade single-stage drop-in trigger that is regularly $149.99 that you can get today for $89.99. Both of those links are in the show description. Check them out and show them some love and get yourself some goodies in the meantime. Um, Got a full slate again today. Uh, skipping a day makes it longer. <laughs> um, two Michigan middle schoolers are suing their school district for barring them from wearing sweatshirts that say, let's go Brandon. The boy's mother argued that the ban infringes on their constitutional rights, while the Tri-County Area School District insists the sweatshirts violates its dress code, which bars clothing with messages that are lewd, indecent, vulgar, or profane. The lawsuit alleges that when the brothers wore their Let's Go Brandon sweatshirts, an assistant principal and teacher asked them to remove the garments and told one of the boys that his sweatshirt was the equivalent to the F-word. According to the lawsuit, the slogan conveys the same opposition to President Biden, sanitized to express the sentiment without using profanity or vulgarity. But it is not lewd, profane, indecent, vulgar, or obscene. The school district stuck with its prohibition even after lawyers threatened litigation in a letter to administrators in May of 2022. The commonly known meaning of the slogan, Let's Go Brandon, obviously is fuck Joe Biden. It is intended to ridicule the president with profanity. At least one of the students has acknowledged knowing what this slogan means, and a simple Google search confirms what the slogan means. Uh, This was the school's attorney. Let's Go Brandon even has its own Wikipedia page, which unequivocally confirms the slogan's vulgar meaning, Rosin noted. The school's lawyer further argued that the district does not prohibit students from the right to express their political views or from wearing clothing with political slogans, but the student dress code does not allow clothing containing language that is offensive, vulgar, or profane. The lawsuit was filed 10 months later by an attorney with the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression on behalf of the mother and two brothers. Criticism of the president is core political speech protected by the First Amendment said attorney Connor Fitzpatrick, who filed the lawsuit in U.S. District Court in Grand Rapids. Whether it's a Biden sticker, Let's Go Brandon sweatshirt, or gay pride t-shirt, schools cannot pick and choose which political beliefs students can express. In a statement provided to the Detroit Free Press, the boy's mother, whose identity is being protected by the lawyers, voiced her frustration with the school district. Instead of allowing my sons to express their beliefs to their classmates, school officials punished them. Instead of seeing political sweatshirts as a potential conversation starter between students, officials saw it as an opportunity to discriminate against opinions they didn't like, she said. The mother added, I'm proud of my sons for standing up 
for their First Amendment rights and the rights of students everywhere. Let's be honest, this mother is using her children to politically advance the... I mean, I believe that they have the right to wear the shirts. Don't get me wrong. But I doubt that these boys reached out to an attorney and and did this. So I I don't know. I This is an interesting one. Meanwhile, in true pot calling the kettle black fashion, we'll discuss that on uh, Liberty Happy Hour tonight, by the way. Um, in true pot calling the kettle black fashion, Joe Biden and his campaign are fully embracing the Let's Go Brandon which obviously was meant, as we've seen, as an insult by using Dark Brandon to move merch for his newly announced 2024 re-election campaign. The Biden campaign website is selling a Dark Brandon coffee mug, which they call Dark Roast Mug, and a Dark Brandon t-shirt, which it says is best worn while vanquishing malarkey. Fucking lame, man. Twitter users have also spotted Dark Brandon in the campaign's 404 error page. The page users are shown when they click on a broken link or mistype part of the URL. You're lost, Jack. It says at the top above an image of a laser-eyed Biden in full Dark Brandon mode. Biden's supporters co-opted it into memes and transformed everything into Dark Brandon to represent Biden's feisty side. Now it seems even Biden himself is all aboard the dark Brandon train. Y'all have to go look at this article because it has a picture of the dark Brandon and a holy bananas. I do not think that it has the intended effect at all. I also posted it on my Twitter this morning. If you want to go there and look at it, um, it, it looks nefarious. It looks like you're intent on destroying the country. Like it has a, an awful connotation. You should go look at it. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci admitted that something clearly went wrong with the country's COVID-19 response in an interview published Tuesday, but absolved himself of the most impactful results of his anti-infection recommendations. Show me a school that I shut down and show me a factory that I shut down. Never. I never did, Fauci told the New York Times Magazine when questioned about the heavy-handed policies that he suggested throughout the pandemic. Um, sir... You advised policy through the NIH, the CDC, which directed policy at health departments across the country. Those health departments, in coordination with the Department of Education, referring to your recommendations, shut down schools across the country. He said, I gave a public health recommendation that echoed the CDC's recommendation, and people made a decision based on that. But I never criticized the people who had to make the decisions one way or the other. The former chief medical advisor to the president whined that he was accused of shutting down the economy for relaying the National Public Health Agency's suggestions to shut down schools and businesses during the height of the pandemic. Fauci repeatedly came under fire for seesawing on several preventive measures, most memorably mask mandates. He originally told Americans masking was not necessary before backpedaling and pointing to the practice as a necessity to overcome the pandemic. Not only a necessity, but you should wear two and three masks and make sure you've got that N95 on there too. The retired infection expert chalked most of the resistance to masking and later vaccinations to national divisiveness along party political lines and the fear of being forced by the government to fall into public health guidance lines. 
that isn't that is not true. It it is because the science did not support the the directives. The science did not support the force that was behind it. He said, I think anything that instigated or intensified the culture wars just made things worse. And I have to be honest with you, when it comes to masking, I don't know. But I do know that the culture wars have been really, really tough from a public health standpoint, Fauci said. Ultimately, an epidemiologist sees it as an epidemiological phenomenon. An economist sees it from an economic standpoint. I see it from somebody in a bed dying. Oh, please. Fauci struck a defensive tone several times throughout the piece, even accusing interviewer David Wallace-Wells of Monday morning quarterbacking when he pointed out that half of COVID-19 deaths are among vaccinated people. Because being held accountable is not something that people who walk around and act like narcissistic psychopaths enjoy doing. Something clearly went wrong, and I don't know exactly what it was, but the reason we know it went wrong is that we're the richest country in the world, and on a per capita basis, we've done worse than virtually all other countries. And there's no reason that a rich country like ours has to have 1.1 million deaths. Unacceptable, he said. What does finance? have to do with anything when we have the most people. When people say to me, could we have done better? Of course, of course. If you knew many of the things that you know now, definitely you would want to do things differently, Fauci said. Like maybe don't lock down. Maybe treat it like any other virus. Oh, man. Swedish doctors at a top medical school released a systemic review of available medical literature on providing puberty blockers to children and said that it, its use for treating gender dysphoria should be considered experimental. Doctors at the Karolinska Institute, ranked as a top 15 medical school in Europe, published an article in Acta Pediatrica, Pediatrica on April 17th, which was partly funded by an independent Swedish governmental agency, tasked with assessing methods used in healthcare and making recommendations. The review analyzed thousands of studies and focused on those without significant bias. The doctors, among them, an advisor to Sweden's medical board, concluded, GNRHA treatment in children with gender dysphoria should be considered experimental treatment of individual cases rather than standard procedure. Puberty blockers, or gonadotropin-releasing hormone analogs, or GNRHA, is a class of drugs which suppresses sex hormones by continually stimulating the pituitary gland. The Karolinska Institute's systemic analysis also led to a conclusion that GNRH analogs were found to delay bone maturation and mineral deposits, which may only be partially restored by age 22, with cross-sex hormones. But they noted research was limited on that as well. Richard Nagard, who is a pediatric endocrinologist and researcher affiliated with the Karolinska Institute, told uh, Swedish TV's Mission Investigate in 2021 that physicians try not to keep children on blockers for too long in order to minimize the risks of GNRH which is also used to facilitate chemical castration for prostate cancer patients. What we call GNRH treatment is chemical castration, and it can affect mental health in an unintended and undesirable way. 
So it's very important that the patient and the patient's family are informed about this, he said. I'm very worried about it, and I think I'm not alone in that, he said, about his concerns of GNRH for children. Mission Investigate reported that a Swedish transgender boy named Leo, who was taking puberty blockers for over four years, developed osteopenia, which is a condition where an individual lacks bone density, which can progress to osteoporosis and lead to bone fractures if not treated. The Karolinska University Hospital filled out a report on what happened to Leo and followed up with findings that other children may have been exposed to serious medical injury. The hospital then stopped providing blockers to children with gender dysphoria as a standard of practice. The media attention led the Swedish government to begin commissioning inquiries to reassess its health recommendations. In 2022, the medical board released guidance to change its earlier policies from 2015 to a more restrictive practice of prescribing blockers and hormones to children. Despite the limited research on the subject of prescribing puberty blockers to treat gender dysphoria, providers in the United States commonly refer to the drugs as, quote, completely reversible and stress its overall safety. Doctors at Department of Defense military bases, for example, recently criticized the idea of, quote, watchful waiting on minors with gender dysphoria before referring them for hormonal treatments, calling it conversion therapy. These are temporary medicines, said the Boston Children's Hospital about GNRH. They do not cause any permanent changes. It's like hitting the pause button, wrote St. Louis Children's Hospital. The institution went on to exemplify how GNRH is safe by stating the FDA approved it for children with precocious puberty, a physical condition in which kids, including those who can be as young as five, begin to manifest adolescent development. The condition can be managed with GNRH in order to delay their puberty puberty to a later and more appropriate time frame. However, what was not explicitly mentioned is the drug is used off-label in treatment for gender dysphoria. Off-label is the practice of prescribing a drug for a different purpose than what the FDA had actually approved it. The doctors who conducted the government-funded study concluded, evidence to assess the effects of hormone treatment on the above fields in children with gender dysphoria are insufficient. About gender medical interventions for minors, Uh, Dr. Stanley Goldfarb of Do No Harm said that the point is for a treatment that immutably changes these children's lives. It's unconscionable to push these treatments without a clear understanding of the long-term consequences. What we are hearing from European countries, including the latest of Belgium, is that the long-term effects do not accrue the benefit of these children to the benefit of these children. Um, The U.S. Navy said Iran seized a Marshall Islands-flagged oil tanker on the Gulf of Oman on Thursday amid wider tensions over Tehran's nuclear program. The Navy's Mideast-based 5th Fleet identified the vessel as the Advantage Suite. Satellite tracking data for the vessel from marinetraffic.com showed it in the Gulf of Oman, just north of Oman's capital, Muscat, on Thursday afternoon. It had just come from Kuwait and listed its destination as Houston, Texas. The oil tanker issued a distress call during the seizure, the Fifth Fleet said. 
Iran's actions are contrary to international law and disruptive to regional security and stability. Iran should immediately release the oil tanker, he said. I'm sure if you send them a strongly worded letter, they'll let it go. Thursday's seizure by Iran was the latest in a string of hijackings and explosions to royal a region that includes the Strait of Hormuz, the north or I'm sorry, the narrow mouth of the Persian Gulf through which a fifth of all traded oil passes. Also, the US Navy has blamed Iran for a series of limpet mine attacks. Limpet mine attacks on vessels that damaged tankers in 2019, as well as for a fatal drone attack on an Israeli-linked oil tanker that killed two European crew members in 2021. Tehran denies carrying out the attacks, but a wider shadow war between the Iran and the West has played out in the region's volatile waters. Tanker seizures have been a part of it since 2019. We are not a serious country on the world stage, but thank goodness we have dark Brandon with the laser eyes. A really cool piece of legislation that is about to be signed by the governor in the state of Indiana is Senate Bill 35, which requires all students beginning with the class of 2028 to take a personal financial responsibility course before they are allowed to graduate. That course would cover topics like opening and managing a bank account, managing debt, applying for loans, and understanding credit scores. The final version of the bill received a unanimous vote in both the House and Senate. A great quote from Democratic Representative Vernon Smith said, I think we forget sometimes that it's for life, not school, that we learn. And it's important for us to prepare our children to be good citizens and to be able to contribute to the quality of life, not only for others, but themselves. The Biden administration has opted against granting a permit for transporting liquefied national natural gas, or LNG, from Wyalusing, Pennsylvania to Gibstown, New Jersey via railroad. The U.S. Department of Transportation stated in a federal filing published Monday that it had rejected special permit from Energy Transport Solutions, a Missouri-based liquefied liquid fuels transportation firm to renew authorization for LNG transportation. A DOT sub-agency, the Pipeline and Hazardous Material Safeties Administration, there's, oh man, all of these entities, explained Tuesday that the decision was in part a result of litigation. The request to transfer LNG to New Jersey was part of a large LNG export project first proposed in 2017 by Energy Transport Solutions parent company New Fortress Energy, a billion-dollar energy infrastructure infrastructure company. The company's plan for the project included constructing a LNG processing plant in Wyalusing and transporting product via rail to Gibstown, where it would build an export terminal to send natural gas overseas. In December of 2019, the Trump administration approved a special permit to allow LNG transportation via rail as part of the project, but the permit expired in late 2021. In addition, the Trump administration finalized a rule that broadly allowed energy companies to transport LNG nationwide via tank car, but the new Fortress Energy project has faced legal hurdles in recent years. The company ultimately entered into a settlement last year with several environmental groups led by the Sierra Club, agreeing to halt construction of its wire-loosing processing facility indefinitely until it obtains a new air quality permit. 
the future of the Gibstown liquefied natural gas terminal is looking bleaker by the day, said Kimberly Ong, a senior attorney at the Natural Resources Defense Council, an influential environmental group. The denial of the Energy Transport Solutions Special Permit is a huge victory for halting this planet-warming, water-polluting, community-endangering fossil fuel project. Now the DOT just needs to put the nail in the coffin and restore the ban on liquefied natural gas by rail once and for all, she continued. Denial of the special permit is necessary but not sufficient. Step to stop the construction of the Gibstown LNG terminal. Ong also called on Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to reverse the Trump-era rule that allows wide-scale uh, liquid LNG rail transportation, especially after the tragic disaster in East Palestine, Ohio. There's no excuse for Buttigieg to not suspend the federal LNG by rail rule immediately, Ong stated. These people are eco-terrorists, man. It's crazy. Three teenagers have been arrested on first-degree murder charges in connection to the death of a 20-year-old Colorado woman who was struck by a rock that investigators say was thrown through her windshield while she was driving. Alexa Bartel of Arvada was talking on the phone with a friend when she was hit by the rock northwest of Denver on April 19th. After the call went silent, the friend tracked Bartel's location with a phone app and found the woman dead in her car, which had crashed into a field, said Carolyn Tilly, a spokesperson for the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. Bartel was killed by the rock and not the crash, according to Tilly. Joseph Koenig, Nicholas Mitch, Carol Chick, and Zachary Quack, all 18 were arrested at their homes in Arvada, Colorado, overnight Tuesday and Wednesday. Online jail records did not indicate if they have attorneys who can speak on their behalf. Investigators believe the attack is linked to several other similar incidents in which rocks between four and six inches in diameter and weighing three to five pounds were thrown at cars in the area the night of Bartel's death. The attack started just after 10 p.m. and involved at least seven vehicles. In addition to Bartel's death, two drivers suffered minor injuries. It's unclear which of these teens was driving during the attacks, but all three are suspected of throwing rocks at vehicles. The U.S. dollar's global supremacy is reportedly eroding at an exponential rate, with countries backing away after witnessing how America used the U.S. dollar to impose sanctions against Russia. In a new Bloomberg report, Stephen Jen and Jonah Freer of asset management firm Horizon SLI Capital reveal that in 2022, the U.S. dollar's market share in global reserves plunged 10 times its average speed of the past 20 years. Considering the fluctuations in exchange rates, the dollar lost about 11% of its market share since 2016 and twice that amount since 2008. Jen and Freer say in an investor note that the countries located in Asia, Latin America, Africa, and the Caribbean, and the Pacific Islands collectively known as the Global South are shredding their dollar reserves as they look for an alternative to avoid sharing Russia's fate. According to Jen and Freer, the dollar now accounts for only 58% of global reserves, drastically down from 73% 20 years ago when the currency was considered as the indisputable hegemonic reserve. Although the dollar's dominance appears to be on the decline, Jen and Freer note 
the U.S. dollar status as the world's reserve currency is unlikely to change in the near future, as emerging economies continue to depend on the greenback to settle international trades. Does anyone notice they keep saying that? They keep saying, well, it's declining at a rapid, crazy rate, but don't worry, they'll still have to use it. However, the duo warns that the developing country's reliance on the U.S. dollar is not preordained, and it is possible that more nations hop on the trend of de-dollarization. The prevailing view of nothing to see here on the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency seems too innocuous and complacent. What needs to be appreciated by investors is that while the global South is unable to totally avoid using the dollar, much of it has already become unwilling to do so. That is your Friday edition of everything yesterday this morning. We will have Liberty Happy Hour live this evening at 10.15 Eastern Standard Time. Please join us over on Twitter Spaces if you would like to join the conversation. Otherwise, I will see you guys next week. You take care and have a wonderful Friday. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.